All right, so we are here with Court um, from Modern Family, and Court and her partner Nick retired early in their mid-30s, which is awesome, with their two young kids. They live frugal yet fulfilling lives and understand that a simple life can be a happy life. They spend money on things they value and cut out the fluff, which is, I think, a lesson for all of us. Court loves talking about personal finance, traveling, getting outside, and spending time with her kids. And today we're going to talk all about why fees matter to your investments. So welcome, Court. I'm so glad to be talking to you again. Yes, thanks. Thanks for having me back on, Maria. I'm excited. Awesome. So we're just going to jump kind of right in. So what are some fees that someone pays on their investments? Okay, so typically most people who have investments are using an advisor and that advisor is going to typically have some management fees involved. Um, So that is mostly they charge what's called AUM, assets under management. So depending on how much of uh, money that you have invested with them, they're going to charge you a fee to be your advisor, basically. Um, some may be 1%, 2%. It kind of depends. It might vary if you have a larger portfolio. It, they might lower their fees uh, slightly for you. But in reality, you're still paying quite a bit. Like if you have more in there, right? They charge you less, but you're, they're still collecting these fees. The, another type of advisor could be a fee-for-service advisor. And that would be where it's kind of negotiated and discussed upfront, where you're paying this set fee whether it's a one-time or annually, however it might be, to advise you on things to invest in. So that kind of removes them from a financial standpoint of what they are choosing to invest for you. They kind of have more your best interests in mind. There's still a fee associated, but that fee now is not uh, associated to what they are investing for you. And then you could have, uh, you could go a more DIY approach and that would be with a discount broker. And some of them might charge some fees, maybe uh, depending if your portfolio is not a certain size or the different scopes of the account, but typically these are free to open up and you are more managing it yourself. So those are kind of the three kind of umbrellas of ways you can open up your different Fund or different accounts, whether it's a RSP or a CFSA or a non-registered things like that, RESP for your kids. And then once you have these accounts set up, now you need to pick funds inside to invest within. And typically you're going to have either ETFs or mutual funds. Your other option is kind of individual stocks. Most people aren't doing that nowadays and they're diversifying a bit more, which is great, but you could kind of keep it super low cost and just buy individual stocks, which typically have very low fees to do that, but then you're not diversified and not something that I personally would recommend. So if you're going with an ETF or a mutual fund, you're going to have some fees involved. And typically what you're looking for is an MER. That stands for a management expense ratio, capital M, capital E, capital R. And each mutual fund and ETF is going to have an MER. And that pretty much pays for all of its operating expenses, say legal, accounting, you know, management. So if you have an advisor with a, a management team coming up with different uh, stocks and different uh, you know, things within that uh, mutual fund to invest in, typically their fees are going to be higher. So that would be what we call an actively managed fund versus a passively managed fund is kind of this broad based here, you can pick this. It's going to invest in all five, the top 500 US companies or 
all the companies in the world, depending on what type of ETF that you're selecting, they're not kind of actively managing it. It's more passively managed. And that's going to come with a lower NER. There might be some sort of commissions involved, whether you are buying and selling things in there. If your active manager buys and sells things frequently, you are typically going to have those fees associated to buying and selling within those actively managed funds. There might be things called trailing commissions. There might be trading commissions and fees. They're all kind of baked with in that MER there. Unlike a stock, you might be paying some sort of trading commission every time you buy or sell an ETF, depending on who your bank or brokerage that you're using. So there's some low cost ones like, well, Simple does not charge to buy or sell uh, an ETF. Quest Trade, for example, has no fee to buy, but does charge to sell. So if you're actively trading and buying and selling daily, you're going to have these extra fees. But if it's kind of a longer term horizon, hopefully the goal is you're just buy, buy, buying for free. And then down the road, you're selling and you might sell, you know, one fell swoop for the year, what you need, and you pay, you know, anywhere from five to $20, something like that and fees to sell to have your you know, money that you're living off of down the road come retirement. Mutual funds might also charge things called like short-term trading fees. And that's if you're trading like um, or selling, you know, within a certain amount of time, you just bought it and you're selling it back out quickly. Uh, they might have different charges at the beginning that they would call front end loads or initial sales charges, such as basically like buy this fund, you have to pay a fee to have this fund under your belt typically. Or on the back end, if the mutual fund is going, if you're going to sell it, they would have something called a back end, a back end load or a deferred sales charge. And so these are extra, these are just extra fees simply by having these mutual funds in your basket of, of goods. If you want to get out of it, let's say you realize down the road, like, oh, wow, like I have this fund and it, it's charging way more fees. I want to get out of it. Well, you might have to pay this DSC, this deferred sales charge or something like that, just simply to get it, get rid of it, which is crazy, right? And most people don't know that these exist. They don't advertise. It's not big and bold and, you know, black and white writing with red all over it. Like you have these extra fees, like they hide it, right? So those are typically the fees involved. So again, it really depends on which route you're going. Your fees can be quite high or they can, you can keep them quite low. It really depends on how you build your portfolio. Okay, so a couple of different things. I got like lots of thoughts from what you said. So it sounds like the mutual funds seem to have the highest fees. DIY would be the mid-range and then individual stocks would be the less kind of thing is what I'm hearing. Discount brokerage, a lot of good options. Another one is Qtrade, which is sponsoring um, the summit. They have 100 ETFs that are free to buy and sell, over 100. So another really good option that way. You talked about those fees kind of being in secret. So that's my next question is, how can I find out, you know, what exactly I'm paying in fees or what percentage, like where do I find this information? Yeah, so it's not easy to find. Um, so if you're listening and you're like, I have no clue what my fees are, like that is most people out there have no clue what their fees are. So don't feel like, oh, I should know this. So every mutual fund or ETF has what's called a fact fund or a fact sheet. And you can find these online. You can always ask, you know, your brokerage or bank like for it directly, or you can Google it yourself and that's the easiest. So if you just figure out what, are you actually investing in? That's step one is like, what is in my portfolio? What is in my RSP? What is in my TFSA? And you'll find out the names of those funds, whether you, they are ETFs or mutual funds. And then you would Google, you'd figure out that name. I'm going to use an example here. VEQT is a Vanguard all equity ETF. So I would see VEQT and I would just Google VEQT fact fund or fact sheet. So you find the name of your mutual fund or ETF add fact sheet to the end of it, Google that. And in there, you should find 
on that Google search, you should find the name of the provider of that mutual fund. It should be kind of the first or second thing on their search engine. Open that up. You have to dig through. They're typically a couple pages long. They're not going to have it right at the front, but you have to dig through and find that MER. That's what you're looking for. And it's expressed as an, uh, a percentage. So it might be something like 0.25%, 2.5%, kind of something typically in that range is what a typical MER looks like. So that's what you're looking for is that MER within that fact sheet and trying to find that percentage out. Yeah. And I think you've created, like you have a good point. So you've talked about a lot of fees. There's a lot of acronyms kind of being thrown out there, which are all included on your cheat sheet. So everyone has a copy of these, but I, I know I've talked to a lot of my friends and they're like, well, I don't pay my advisor. I, there's no fees. And it's like, you actually do, you know, it's usually kind of hidden or things like this. So I think that's a really good um, tip for where to find them. So why do all these fees matter? If we're talking like, it seems like we're talking small amounts, like percentage of percentage points, why do they matter? And what impact do they have on our investments? Yeah. So really these are eating into your portfolio over time. Like you said, Maria, it's not like you're writing out a check and saying, okay, my advisor is saying I owe this much from fees this year. That's not how it works. Right? So these fees are taken out of your returns. And so as your returns compound over time, you are re- earning less and less over time because these fees are coming away. So the biggest misconception, I guess, or what people don't realize is that this is not out of a 100% range. We're not looking at a 2% fee out of 100. It's like, oh, okay, like for every $100 I put in, $2 is getting eaten at fees. It's not like that. It's based off of your returns. And typically, depending on the year, your returns are going to vary, right? But let's just say your returns are 6% on average, and you have a 2% fee, MER. Well, that 2% out of your 6% return. So really it's 33%, right? 2.6 is the same as 33%. Or let's say you have 8% return, you know, 2, 2% fee. 2 eighths is a quarter, that's 25%. So typically that's what you're looking at closer is like a quarter to a third of your returns are getting eaten away. So when you see it in that light, you're like, okay, that's actually a lot more than I was thinking, you know, when I hear MER. And that's why it's so deceiving and it's just so misworded, but smartly like these people are smart right like the bank people in the banks investment world like they creatively wrote it like this to just make you unaware of what it is that they are keeping and typically these actively managed funds that have these higher fees are not outperforming a more passive portfolio that is just you know more broad and diversified and following a market so you now have lower returns overall by being in a more actively managed fund but you have the higher fees to go with it too so it's kind of this double whammy effect of your fees are just part of it but then another part is the ones that with the high fees typically are not performing as well as a lower fee option out there Okay, so talking about kind of comparing those types of fees, how does like a 0.25% MER, so let's say we're doing some kind of an ETF, compare to a 2% MER if we're looking at the light, like 40 years. So I'm starting investing in my 20s. I'm going to retire at traditional age of 60. I mean, that's not common for everybody, but what kind of impact are we talking about here? Yeah, so... The 2.5 is kind of what you would typically find with a passive, you know, ETF out there. And two is kind of average. It even goes higher. Like let's, it could go up to like 2.5. Let's just use two for these examples over a 40 year return, right? Let's say you're starting off with $100,000. You don't contribute another penny in. You kind of reach this coast by number in a sense where you're just like living off of what you've earned, but you're not investing anything anymore. And your portfolio is growing at 7%, let's just say for these 40 years at a t- 
0.25% fee in 40 years, that $100,000 is going to be worth $1.36 million, which is a lot, right? Like it's kind of mind boggling. Um, and you lost $133,000 to fees for that 0.25. You end up with that 1.36 after fees. With a 2% fee, that same 40 year horizon, 7% returns, you now have a portfolio of $703,000 versus 1.36. So almost half, right? $793,000 was lost in fees. And if you play around with these calculators, when you look at short term, a year, two, five, 10, you're not going to see this great of an impact. It's really this compounding over time when you're looking 20, 30, 40 plus years out. That's where you see this huge difference in place. I've got a couple more examples because it's so impactful here. So let's say you have another set up where you're starting off with $10,000 and you're adding in $1,000 every month for the next 40 years. That's kind of would be more a typical retirement setup at that same 40 years, seven year, 7% growth. Again, just is just historical on average, right? Some years more, some years less 0.25% fee. You're going to have a portfolio of 2.6 million by the time 40 years is up. Not bad, right? Same thing to 2% fee though. You have 1.6 million. So you just lost a million dollars simply by what you are choosing to invest in. They could be investing in very, very similar things. It's just the fees that are different and boom, you've lost a million dollars. Take it one step further. You have that same $10,000, but now you're contributing 2,000 a month in for that 40 years, 7% growth. At 0.25% fee, you'll end up with just over $5 million, 5.04 million at the end of the day. If you switch that to the 2% fee, you have 3.125. So almost the difference of $2 million in that example. So this is, it's so crazy. It's like, you know, some people talk about, you know, cutting out the coffee a day and blah, 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 you know, that sort of like cutting out, you know, a couple of dollars here and there. Like this, this is a very, very simple thing that you can do is switching over, switching to something that has lower fees. You have to just feel comfortable about it. But you have to educate yourself. But if you do this, this is literally million of plus dollars of savings that we're talking about here. It's crazy when you actually play around with it. Well, and I think you have a good point as far as talking about that length of term and the compound interest, right? So we think about like that rule of 72. And if we're getting a 7% return, well, 2% decrease is now 5% return. So it takes that much longer for our money to double, right? And so you kind of definitely see that compounded over the long term. So you talked about reducing your fees. So what are some strategies for reducing our fees? So if someone's like, holy crap, I had no idea. This is kind of where I think I'm paying those high fees. What can I do to help reduce some of those fees? Yeah. So the biggest thing is we want to try and DIY as much as possible. And so the biggest thing is avoiding these high cost mutual funds. So how do you do that? You have to educate yourself, really. Like most people don't feel comfortable investing themselves, which is fine. Like I'm not saying do this today, start today, but start educating yourself. So that way in make a goal a month, six months, a year, whatever's realistic from your end, you can make that switch and you're not going to let analysis paralysis get in the way. It's something that you can do. Anyone listening can do this. It's just they have to be educated and feel confident confident enough in themselves that they can make this leap over. So what I would personally do is I would look into what am, what is in my portfolio currently hold. Look up what those NERs are and how can I reduce them is basically if I have an advisor who's kind of holding my hand and making all those decisions for me, how do I leave my advisor? It's not that their advisor is bad or doing anything wrong. It's just we need to keep those fees in-house instead of going into their pockets, right? So step one, like kind of a middle ground is going to an, a robo-advisor. That would kind of be my first thought would be you can open this up with a more discount brokerage 
out there. And most of them have robo-advisor features. Some do, some don't. But basically, it's this questionnaire, like 10 questions or so, and it's trying to figure out your risk tolerance. What percentage should we be in stocks versus what percentage should be in bonds? And it's going to invest you in a broad, low-cost ETF, and it's going to make that decision for you based off of the questionnaire that you filled out. So it's kind of holding your hand in coming up with your ETF portfolio for you. So you answer these questions and it decides, okay, you should be split up. 80% of your portfolio should be stocks and 20% bonds or whatever portfolio, you know, asset, right? Allocation. And then it invests that for you. That's it. So that would be step one. Typically those robo-advisors do come with a fee, right? Because it's making, helping to make those decisions for you. And typically they're at 0.5%. So half of a percentage fee. And if they're investing in one of these low cost, all-in-one type of ETFs that come at typically 0.2, 0.25, now you're all in close to 0.7%. 0.75, something like that. So if you are at 2% and we can get you down to 0.75-ish, that's a huge savings right there. And for some people, that's enough. They feel comfortable with that and they want to leave it at that. And that's totally fine. In my view, like if you can keep it under 1%, like in Canada, that's a win, right? We don't want to be paying more than 1%. Canada is known to have some of the highest fees in the world. So we need to lower these fees down. So that would be kind of step one. And then step two would be how do we get away from the robo-advisor world? And that would be more of a all-in-one ETF approach. And so there are different companies out there that have these all-in-one ETFs that are broken down similar to your asset allocation, 100% stock portfolio, 0% bond, or 80-20, 60-40, and so on as you get more and more conservative. And with one click, you're buying thousands, tens of thousands of different stocks and bonds that from a global standpoint with one click. And these come at a 0.2 to 0.25% fee. So that would be the winner in my book for most people is to figure that out, buy that one all-in-one ETF, figure out what your asset allocation is. And that's just personality. Like what's your time horizon? What's your risk tolerance? Those are kind of the questions that you're trying to figure out for that. And then for most people, I would say you're good. Like once you're at 0.2, 0.25% fee, you're great. If you wanted to take it one step further, then you'd be looking at closer to, you know, seeing what these all-in-one ETFs are holding and buying those individually, those different separate ETFs that make up this all-in-one type of portfolio. And those typically come with a lower fee somewhere 0.05 to 0.1, something like that. And that would kind of be the lowest you would get uh, unless you're, again, doing like individual stocks, which I would not recommend. So I, you're not going to see a huge savings from a 0.2 to 0.25 all-in-one fee to kind of taking it to that next granular. If, if you're like, super into this and super you know nerdy and want to go into like all the geeky stuff great but i think those all in one funds are kind of the stop for most people and a great option out there just getting to that comfort level of knowing which ones to pick and feeling confident in your decisions and there's really no bad choice it's just figuring out what is my asset allocation what is my risk tolerance what's my time horizon and you can always change it like it's and you're not set in stone once you buy something today. That doesn't mean that's what I have to do going forward forever and ever. Yeah. And I mean, when I first got started, I was I was in mutual funds because I mean, that was my parents were into that just seemed like a thing. I didn't even know there was other options. And it did like the stock market seemed very, you know, scary and risky and things like that. And now like we do do DIY and it's like, no, you can do this a little bit of knowledge. And that's the whole point of the summit, right? Is like getting confident with your investments and taking over. So I think you've got some really good strategies there. Is there ever a situation where it makes sense to pay more in fees? Could be if you simply don't want to take the time to learn. That's 
on you. Like by all means, if you don't want to, and you feel like I need an advisor, I need someone to hold my hand, then that's fine. But just know like you're giving up close to a million dollars, you know, depending on what your situation and your numbers are, right? Like, is that a million dollar handholding that you're willing to take after listening to this and the whole summit, right? It could be if you have a complex financial situation, there might be different accounts out there that you're just not aware of or ways to invest. Maybe there might be some different loopholes out there that are just built into our weird tax system that you might be able to take advantage of that you're just not aware of that you might need an advisor's help. So typically, that's kind of high net worth individuals, you know, people with different complex situations, maybe during your withdrawal straight stage, it might make sense to reach out to one of these the only advisors to come up with a financial plan and have it kind of double check what your plan looks like. And that would be kind of a one time fee, just show me that I'm not crazy. I'm, I could start living off of my portfolio type of thing. Or maybe you want to use one at that point who has like different tax optimizations from the withdrawal stage. But that in my mind, like that would be kind of it that I can think of at least. I mean, a lot of people just like you said, go with an advisor because that's their job. That's what they do. They're trained to do this. But most of the time, they are more likely to be a salesperson to sell you their mutual fund than actually have this deep knowledge on what is in your best interest. And I think that's, it's scary. Like it's scary when you hear it like that. It's like your money's being handed over to a salesperson, not to an actual advisor, even though that's their job title. So it's just, again, becoming more confident and knowledgeable in your own abilities and knowing that you can likely do this yourself and get you better returns over the long run than an advisor holding your hand who's going to keep these fees. Yeah, I think you've made a really good point as far as a fee-only advisor. I mean, they we're not saying never use a financial advisor. That's definitely not what the message is, right? But with a fee-only person, then there's more of a fiduciary responsibility. There's more, they're in it for you. We got into that same kind of sucked in again. We I think I made every mistake in the book. We did mutual funds on our own. And then we worked with an advisor, which we didn't realize was just a salesperson. And then we were in these like ridiculous, we were in seg funds, which is like crazy expensive. We had no idea. And so when we talked to our advisor, eventually we worked with, he's like, those are like for like, you're like 80 years old. Like you are so in the wrong fund. And we're like, we had no idea, right? This is someone we knew and we didn't realize that she was like just selling to us, right? So it's like a good question is how do they get paid, right? So if you think you're not paying your advisor, you are just kind of a different way, right? So I think that's a really good tip. Absolutely. A fee-only advisor is the way to go. What are some books or resources? Is there any Canadian specific content that someone can dig into if they want to know more about this? Yeah. So my favorite book on the topic is from a Canadian writer. So yes, there is Canadian um, info on this and it's called Beat the Bank by Larry Bates. My favorite book, it's easy to read and it just kind of goes into some of these examples and it shows you how he comes up with what he calls a T-Rex score. And what is your T-Rex score? You know, it depends on these fees that you're paying and taxes that you're paying over long term and things like that. And he also has a, a subsequent website. If you just type in Larry Bates T-Rex score, it will be there. Like I'm sure it'll be the top one. But you can play around with that. So he has a calculator on there as well. Um, so that's where you can put in if I have, you can pull up your portfolio and say, this is what my portfolio is. I'm planning to retire in 20 years, 25 years, whatever the number is. And I expect my returns to be this. Here's my fees. And you can see exactly what your fees are going to look like down the road versus, and then you can turn that into a lower fee hypothetical, you know, in this calculator and see, oh, wow, if I changed it to something else, I'd end up saying 
saving X amount in fees. So you can play around with that calculator. There's another online calculator that I personally like. It's a super easy compound interest calculator. It's called from getsmarteraboutmoney.ca. Um, super easy to use. You would put in kind of your initial investment, how much you're adding in. It might be zero if you're not planning to add in anymore or you know, weekly, monthly contribution, what your interest rate is, which is basically what your returns, your expected returns to be, and your time horizon. And then you can play around with that to see. And that's what I use to come up with those examples from earlier to see if I you know, want this thing to grow for 40 years, what's it going to look like? Super easy to use. So that would be the book is Beat the Banks and then there Beat the Bank. And then there's these online calculators as well. I love the T-Rex score. I use it all the time, especially when I'm talking to people about their fees. And it's just like, it's so easy and intuitive to use. So definitely highly recommend that. I have not used the other one, um, but now I'm going to look into it. So absolutely. So if somebody, we're all about action here. I love, you know, it's great to listen to information, but we're some action steps. So we've talked about some strategies earlier, but if somebody watching this is like, oh my goodness, I need to reduce my fees. What is something they can do today to start making an impact? And then what is some more long-term steps they could look at potentially doing? Yeah. So thing today would be pull up your portfolio and what do you have under your belt? What is your portfolio holding? So that is that knowledge piece of, okay, I need to find out what my NERs are. What does this, is this going, is this session going to impact me or not? Like if I, am I holding something that's, you know, 0.25, I'm good. You know, I'm just going to move on. But if I'm holding, you know, different funds that are two, 2.5, 1.75, something like that, then I'm like, okay, then the, the alarms are going off and like, I need to take action. So that's step one for sure. Something you can do today is figure out what your NERs are. You can email or call your advisor and ask them, or you can pull it up if you know exactly the fund names that they are holding, Google it using that fact sheet. So that's step one is figuring that out. And then it's how do we know what they are, right? So then digging in and if it's over that 1% is where I'd say that's when I would be like, all right, I got to take some action here. And I would just re do some research, right? Like this is all like on you. Like the fact that you're here listening to us having this conversation means you are involved in and in wanting to take these steps, which is great. This is step one, right? Like being a part of the summit, right? And now it's how do I improve my overall long-term portfolio returns, this is an easy way to do it. Like you don't have to, there's no guessing game. There's no stock picking. I'm not telling you to go pick this next latest thing. It's just, how can I reduce my fees? Let's focus on that. So really there are so many different websites and blogs and podcasts out there in the personal finance space. It's really finding the one or two or three or five, you know, however detailed you want to go with all this that really resonate with you. So it's taking that time to understand who's out there in the Canadian financial space, who understands, you know, the different accounts and different portfolios and different types of funds that we can invest in and finding those online and listening, listening to podcasts, reading those blog posts and figuring out what should be my asset allocation. And once you figure that out, that's that 100% stock, 0% bond or some mix in between. And that's your comfort level. Typically, the higher stocks you have, the better returns you have, but the more volatile it's going to be. So are you going to be the type of person that panics and sells if you see a downturn? Or are you the type of person that's like, I am in this for the long term. I know that I'm not going to look. I'm just going to check maybe yearly to see what my accounts are doing. So then you would be more, I, would, I personally would put, suggest that person to be you know something more heavily stocks, right? So it really depends on you and your emotional, psychological way of how you are going to invest, figuring out that investment uh, asset allocation, and then going, making that step of opening up a DIY brokerage account. And once you've opened that up, you don't have to talk to your advisor if you're paying 
for an advisor with one of these high NERs. Most people think, well, I don't want to have that conversation. It's going to be so awkward. And I just, I don't know what to say. Like you don't have to do that. You open up your account with say Quest Trade, Wealthsimple, QTrade, you name it. Like there's a bunch out there. You open up your different account. Let's say it's a RSP you're going to start from doing yourself. You open up this new RSP. And when it asks you how you're going to fund this account, you can say, I want to transfer this balance from wherever it is that you're currently holding with this advisor that's paying you a high fee. And you would put in your account name, your account number, you know that sort of information, the balance in there. And then that brokerage company deals directly with that investment advisor firm. So you don't have to, you could, you can you know, send an email or a courtesy call just saying, just so you know, I'm moving things over. You don't have to, there's no like obligation on you to have to do that. So take that anxiety out. Like that is not necessary and not needed. And for whatever reason, it does cause a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. They feel like they've created this relationship with this advisor when really like we don't need that. So get rid of that anxiety. You don't need to be dealing with that. Create this new account and just bring that money over, but don't let it just be sitting in cash. We need it to get invested, right? Like we don't want it. We don't want you to avoid these fees. And then now it's just sitting in cash for years because you can't decide what to do. So getting over that analysis paralysis and figuring out what it is that I'm going to invest in that's a huge step too. So is it going to be in a robo advisor? Is it going to be an all-in-one fund? Take time, take, you know, like I said before, a month, a two, six months, whatever, make that goal, have it on your calendar. Like, okay, by this month, I was supposed to do this. By this month, I'm supposed to do that. And, you know, have these checklists in place to make yourself accountable or have an accountability partner. Do it with a friend, do it with a, you know, you, you and your spouse or you and your neighbor, or you and your whoever whatever partner that you want, like partner up and make it a team effort and join different groups. There's so many different groups out there. There's Facebook pages that with people who genuinely want to help other people out, there's coaches out there. I mean, there are ways that you can do this without having to feel, feel so scared that you're doing it alone. So it's find your group, find that support and reach out if you have questions and make those steps, make it a very actionable plan. Yeah, I think those are all extremely good tips. I remember working with some coworkers on this and like converting into a robo advisor and just like having to sit there and like just push the button. Like it's okay. And then as soon as they do it once, they're like, oh, this is so easy. Court, once again, you have been a wealth of information. So I definitely want to thank you. If you want to connect with Court, see what she's doing, kind of keep up with things, you can connect with her on Instagram or her website. So once again, Court, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. 